It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Infectious diseases are as varied as their symptoms, yet they have one thing in common, a devastating impact on society. As COVID-19 continues to spread around the world, many ask, how did this happen? Today's guest, Dr. Michael Greger, explains where viruses come from and how we can stop them. Dr. Greger is a founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a physician, author, and speaker on nutrition, food safety, and public health issues. Dr. Greger is the author of the new ebook, How to Survive a Pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Greger. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here again. So, Doctor, with the coronavirus pandemic, just about everyone's attention has turned to viruses. Let's try to understand what is happening. First, how and why do viruses spread so efficiently? Well, um, uh, these particular pandemic viruses um, uh, is because uh, people become infected and infectious before they start showing symptoms, unlike SARS, the first deadly coronavirus outbreak of the century. Um, In that case, uh, you developed fever cough before you became infectious, so you could you know, stop people at airports, uh, do some fever monitoring and prevent the spread. But with this disease, as well as flu viruses, um, uh, days before you start showing symptoms, you feel perfectly fine, but maybe exhaling virus with each breath. That's why um, there's been these social distancing measures to kind of lock down the populace to prevent um, as many chains of transmission as possible. We hear about virus mutations. What does that mean? Viruses, um, uh, well, these particular viruses, uh, both the flu virus and uh, COVID-19, these pandemic viruses, have RNA as a genetic material, unlike DNA like us, which lack the kind of proofreading capacity. So every time um, a virus infects a cell and releases millions of new viruses, each one is just a little different, has these tiny mutations. That allows it to adapt to new hosts and even jump species, jump from one species to another, Um, And uh, when we have a new virus uh, jumping from animals for which we have no pre-existing immunity and everybody's susceptible, um, that's how a virus can spread rapidly around the world. And that's why it's difficult to kind of nail these viruses down in terms of vaccinations. The reason we need a flu vaccine every single year is because the flu virus mutates to be subtly different one year from the next, so we have to keep targeting it. We have yet to know um, whether the same will be the case with uh, viruses, uh, with the vaccines made to the coronavirus. Do you think that the coronavirus has mutated and is in a different form than the one that originally came here? Oh, absolutely. In fact, there are 10 different um, strains that have mutated um, around the world. This allows us, this kind of genetic fingerprinting allows us to track the spread of the virus. So, the, so for example, that's how we know that in New York, for example, it actually wasn't uh, people arriving from China, but arriving from Europe um, that triggered the New York outbreak. And so you can see kind of in real time where this virus is spreading. We do not yet know um, whether or not these mutations of the virus Um, actually have affected its ability to transmit or its ability to make people sick. Um, But certainly um, it's within the realm of possibility 
that uh, a viral strain will arise um, from the current virus that is even deadlier or even more easily transmissible, but that isn't necessarily the case. Just because a virus is mutating doesn't mean it's necessarily getting worse. Well, that's what I was wondering because now we're hearing that it's affecting children differently. And I was wondering if it could have been a mutation or just the fact that it's something we've noticed. In fact, it's not a new phenomenon. So there were cases coming out of Italy months ago of the so-called Kawasaki disease, this multi-system inflammatory disorder. We're just seeing more and more cases as more and more children are being affected. But it's important to recognize um, that this remains an extremely rare phenomenon, um, and that the youth, unlike the influenza, that's one of the blessings of this virus versus a pandemic flu virus, is that children in general tend to be uh, uh, tend to be kind of uh, less likely to fall ill, less likely to suffer a severe course. Um, And it's really um, the age distribution is such that um, really those at high risk tend to be over age 65. And with these coexisting uh, so-called comorbidity, um, such as, you know, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, hypertension. Um, And so kids tend to be be spared in this pandemic. Um, uh, And so if anyone's going back to school, I think we start with school children. Um, though uh, we need to keep, uh, uh, even if they don't themselves get sick, um, it's possible they could uh, spread the virus to grandparents. And so anyone over the age of 65 or anyone in contact with those over the age of 65 needs to continue um, to be very cautious um, in terms of their contact, coming in contact with potentially infected individuals. Doctor, we hear so much about herd immunity, and, and there are people that believe that we should just all go out there and whomever gets sick gets sick. Can you explain herd immunity and if that is an effective approach? Well, I mean, that's the only way you stop a pandemic is herd immunity, and that's having a critical portion of the populace immune to the virus. And infection can only burn through a population if there are enough susceptible individuals for the virus kind of viral sparks to jump from one person to the next. Immune individuals who can't get or transmit the virus act as uh, like fire breaks to slow the spread, like, like control rods and a nuclear reaction to, to break the chains of transmission. Now, ideally, this is accomplished through mass vaccination. Vaccines are a way to fight fire with fire, using the virus to fight the virus by generating the benefits of infection, immunity, without the risks, uh, disease and death. Uh, but, you know, it's humbling to realize, though, that, you know, historically, the average vaccine has taken more than a decade to develop, 11 years on average, uh, with the average failure rate of 94 um, uh, percent. Uh, and without a vaccine, herd immunity is really only achieved the hard way through mass infection. Um, but, look, you can't get the virus unless the virus can get to you. Um, so I talk about in the book, uh, you know, all the common sense measures we can take to reduce our risk. Um, uh, you know, we should only expect, uh, you know, herd immunity will happen when 50, 60, 70 percent of the population is infected. So even at the end of this pandemic, there's going to be a significant chunk of the population, like, uh, you know, a third or more who never gets infected, never risks a severe course. And we want to do everything possible to be in that that 30 percent, 30, 40 percent. And how can we do that? Um, you know, that's, you know, respiratory hand hygiene, all the things we've heard about. So how would we know if we have immunity? I mean, I know testing's important. I actually had an antigen test done 10 days ago, and I've yet to get my results. So how yeah. are we able to do this and, and get the information that we need? 
Well, yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, unlike other countries around the world, we did not get our testing regimen up. We're still lagging behind other countries. You know, I mean, it's important to take a step back and realize, you know, uh, look at the, you know, if you look at Australia, for example, they just hit a, a, a milestone. They had 100 fatalities. Out of the entire continent, 100 people have died, right? Now, they have, you know, 10 times smaller population, but we have 1,000 times more deaths. We're, you know, like 100,000 compared to their 100. In Taiwan, they have a population of about 23 million. They have suffered seven deaths, less than 10 deaths. And why were these other countries able to control the disease where we're not? In fact, uh, out of all the countries in the world, although Brazil may soon overtake us, we've had, uh, we, we've had the most um, infections, the most deaths. Um, and, and wait a second, what is going on? And part of that um, is really just a failure at a federal level um, uh, to put in just these, uh, you know, the, 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 what has happened in other countries, not only the, um, uh, the, the, the lockdowns of the populace, the social distancing, but also this, the, the testing, the contact tracing, um, the, 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 necessary, um, uh, the necessary measures to prevent the spread of this virus, and even a, a day, a week, anything could um, dramatically reduce the number of people that become infected. Um, and so, right. you know, we were kind of late in the game, but this is no, uh, but uh, no excuse not to uh, to play catch up, particularly if there's a fall wave on the way. So all of this makes us feel completely out of control, as you can imagine. And we feel like there just isn't anything that we can do. But there are. You had mentioned common sense measures that can help us empower ourselves. So let's talk about that. What can we do to protect ourselves and to give ourselves the best fighting shot of staying healthy? Well, you know, it's important to realize uh, the, the risk factors um, for COVID-19 severity and death, obesity, heart disease, hypertension, type 2 by diabetes. Every single one of those can be controlled or even reversed with a healthy enough diet and lifestyle. So, you know, it's, it, this is the time. Take advantage of the time. If you are lucky enough um, uh, to be able to, um, to, to, to have that um, extra time, you're not... Um, uh, you know, essential personnel out in the world um, risk infection is to, you know, uh, to, to stay healthy, to take this time to get sufficient sleep, keep active, reduce stress, stay connected, uh, albeit remotely, friends and family, eating a healthy diet. Um, uh, um, so, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this should be our excuse. You always want to start a meditation practice, always want to start, you know, um, exercise classes. This is the time because how healthy you are. Um, uh, can uh, can reduce the risk of not only getting infected in the first place, but then being in the you know uh, in that uh, rare you know one in two hundred fifty cases that unfortunately does not survive this illness. So it's really getting to the root cause. Instead of putting so much focus on not getting this virus, it's really making ourselves healthy, building our immune system. That's our best weapon. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons why we have such a severe um, uh, um, uh, outbreak here in the U.S. is because excess body fat alone is a risk factor, even independent of diabetes. So those with um, uh, severe obesity, which is like weighing more than 215 pounds at an average American's height of five foot six, seven times the odds of ending up on a ventilator. Even just being overweight, 
puts you at risk. Having a body mass index of 28 or more, that's about 175 pounds at the average height, appears to nearly six times the odds of suffering a severe COVID-19 course. In the United States, the average BMI exceeds 29. So even being skinnier than the average American still leaves you with so much excess body fat that can put you at risk. Um, and this is because uh, people with excess body fat have greater systemic inflammation, the fat covering the heart itself, um, something called the uh, hypoventilation syndrome, having a restriction of breathing caused by you know excessive fatty tissues in the upper body. Um, uh, but look, we've been months in quarantine. This is the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obesity is not something you have to be have with ever. This is the time to control your blood pressure, um, control your body weight. Um, and so then that could be the silver lining of this pandemic. You uh, survive this pandemic, and then you are going to have healthier habits um, uh, going forward in the future to protect yourself against chronic disease. Doctor, where are these new viruses coming from? And is a pandemic like this going to be our new way of life? Will there be more and more potent viruses coming down the road? You know, over the last few decades, hundreds of human pathogens have emerged at a rate unprecedented in human history. So wait a second, emerged from where? Mostly from animals. The, the AIDS virus was blamed on the butchering of primates and the bushmeat trade in Africa. Uh, mad cow disease was because we turned cows into carnivores and cannibals. Uh, SARS and COVID-19 have been traced back to the exotic wild animal trade. But our last pandemic, uh, swine flu in 2009, arose not from some backwater wet market in Asia, but was largely made in the USA on pig operations in the United States. Now, uh, thankfully, swine flu only killed about a half million people, but the next time, we might not be so lucky. Why was this so different? Well, what made this one different is because um, uh, the... People became infe- are infectious within the incubation period, and so that right. is the period between which you're infected and start showing symptoms. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were able to stop these other coronavirus outbreaks like SARS and MERS because you didn't become infected in after until you became um, infected. But in this case, um, uh, you're, you know, you, every with every breath you take, um, you know, by day three or four. Um, after coming into an infectious contact, you're spreading this virus to those in your household, those out in the community that you come in close contact with. Um, and so that's why, wait a second, if you don't know who's infected and who's not, because you can't tell by symptoms yet, who knows who's going to come down with symptoms the next day and have been infected for infectious for 48 hours, um, because you don't know who's infected, you have to lock down everybody and prevent as many social contacts as possible. And that has been effective in flattening the curve, preventing the overwhelming of our medical systems, um, and giving people a fighting chance to survive this pandemic. Um, and so what we need to do now is you know, stick to the CDC reopening criteria, which unfortunately states are not doing, uh, protecting the most vulnerable, um, this kind of layered social distancing, pumping the brakes to prevent the healthcare system um, uh, from becoming overwhelmed until the virus can be stopped, either through vaccine or natural herd immunity. So I'm in the New York, New Jersey area, and what's making me a little bit nervous is it seems like we're going from zero to 360. And I don't mean the government, I mean people. It's like some people, it's almost like letting the animals out of the zoo. I think some people are doing very reckless things, and that's what's making me nervous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's this real kind of black and white thinking going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's this kind of pandemic fatigue. People have been locked up. All of a sudden, the weather starts coming, um, uh, you know, here in the Northeast. The weather's uh, getting better, and people just, you know, just getting kind of 
um, uh, you know, uh, kind of getting, getting crazy, uh, locked inside. And so fine, go out. In fact, being outdoors, um, the, 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 uh, the risk of infection is very low because of the just natural ventilation, the dilution out in the air. So unless you're talking to someone, um, you know, close within, you know, three, six feet, um, uh, you know, you should, or, or uh, you know, someone coughs in your face, um, being outdoors is a really a low-risk, um, uh, uh, you know, scenario. It's really the confined indoor spaces uh, where you can't escape people, you can't uh, properly distance. So absolutely go outside, but that doesn't mean we have to, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, crowd ourselves together outside. Right, go to the beach, but just try to stay away from people. Um, because you don't know who's who's infected, um, and so and particularly uh, for those with again these pre-existing conditions and those over the age 65 or anyone who has contact with anyone over um, age 65. So you can imagine a young person who's like you know I'm at such low risk going out and having a beer with friends, but they don't know the price of that beer may be the death of their grandparents. Dr. Greger's new ebook is How to Survive a Pandemic. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Greger and his work, you can visit michaelgreger.org or nutritionfacts.org. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com, which stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Dr. Greger, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on. This is Conversations with Joan. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.